Whenever I hear that hymn, I can't help but think of how it was written. Uh, the man's name, I believe, was Bliss. And uh, he had just received news by telegraph back in the 1800s, I believe it was, late 1800s, that the boat that his wife and four children were coming over to see, meet with him and live with him, they were coming, I believe, from over across the seas, had sunk. And the telegram was from his wife and just said, I'm safe, but the four children perished. And that's how he sat down and wrote that. Now, when you read it in your hymnal, it might give you a little idea of how that man's heart felt. It is well with my soul. Read all the words and you will understand how he felt at that moment when he had lost his children. This morning I'd like to uh, speak to you a little further about Revelation. If you turn over with me, Revelation 19 and uh, the portion especially to do with uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb and the guests. And uh, it, uh, it always thrills me. I, you know, I, I get so excited over this thing. I wrote about five messages this week and then had to decide what will I use, you know? Uh, because uh, it's such an exciting subject that uh, it thrills your heart, you know? You bubble inside as you read it. And so I had to place a lot of them aside. Uh, I have often thought I'd like to start in the morning and continue in the evening, you know, to, to have continuity all the time and just keep going next Sunday morning and evening, you know. But I just don't want anybody to miss the area that I'm teaching in. Uh, but you remember that uh, last week I spoke to you in the latter part of the message of the guests at this great marriage supper of the Lamb of God that's recorded in uh, Revelation 19.9 uh, where it says, uh, this is speaking of the guests. Let me read the whole portion first, the beginning at the fifth verse of 19, uh, Revelation. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great, and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. And of course, whenever that word Lamb is, comes, I think you all know that John the Baptist was the great proclaimer of the Lamb of God. He's the one that pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And so when we hear of the Lamb, we know it's speaking of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. The marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And the wife is the church, is the bride. The wife is composed of all those who've been born again, who've come into this glorious family of God, as I said last week, it's an most amazing thing that we are joined to Christ in marriage and both the Father 
is the father of the son Jesus Christ and the father is the father of the bride you know you don't have this do you in everyday life you have father-in-law relationships see but there's no father-in-law here he's the father of the son Jesus Christ and he's the father of the bride isn't that wonderful for he has given us the power the privilege by faith in Christ to call ourselves the sons of God and so we're in this blessed, wonderful relationship with Jesus Christ and the wife hath made herself ready and she makes herself ready, as I said, at the judgment seat of Christ. Before the marriage of the Lamb comes, the judgment seat of Christ comes. We shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We, underline everything in your epistles that say we, us, ourselves, and then... Uh, or put a circle, that's what I do, around the we's, us's, and, you know, ourselves, and put lines under the they and them, you see? Because you'll see the difference in the world and the children, you see? It's us and we, we're the children, you see? We shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to answer for the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or bad. And so the wife makes herself ready. All the wood, hay, and the stubble are burned away. All the gold, the silver, and the precious stones remain. And then the bride is ready for the marriage supper. Her wife, the wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. And the most wonderful thing there is that the bridegroom gives the bride her wedding clothing. Now that doesn't happen down here, you see. Uh, but the bridegroom gives the bride her wedding clothing. For he was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He clothes us upon, you see, with his righteousness. Now, here it speaks of the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And here, that word righteousness in the Greek means it is the righteous acts of the saints. In other words, it is what we have done with our salvation. As I mentioned several weeks ago, you know, Steve uses that so often, Steve Rowland, what we weave here, we shall wear there. And that's exactly what it is. How are you weaving? This will be the glory. Oh, you'll have sinlessness, but the glory, you see, of the, of the bride. We're not all going to be the same. 1 Corinthians 15, we'll all be perfect in the sense that there's no sin. But 1 Corinthians 15 says there is a glory of the sun and the glory of the moon and the glory of the stars. And so is the resurrection from the dead. You see? He classifies the differences in glory. You see? So we are here and we will answer for what we've done in the deeds in the body since we've found Christ as our Savior. And he saith unto me, and this is what I spoke to you about last week, right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Now, I, the only reason he puts these are the true sayings of God is just for that reason, that uh, the human heart is so apt to get to think of things only as either doctrine that is disassociated with them. It's a very important thing that I make this distinction to you. 
doctrine cannot be disassociated with us. I mean, Paul continually says that they preach the doctrine. You look up the word doctrine in your concordance, you'll see what I mean. You hear people today say, well, what difference does doctrine make? It makes all the difference in the world. The doctrine of the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ is made clear in the Scriptures. And so we have to realize that doctrine must become part and parcel of us as human beings. You don't read it theoretically. You read it in absolute application to you. You don't read it as though it is some divine thesis that has been written by a man who has set up these doctrines. You read it as a very breathed word of God for every human heart that the doctrine of Christ's salvation I would know nothing among you save Christ and him crucified, Paul says. The doctrine of his salvation is sealed to our own hearts personally. And so there is to be that understanding of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And in this portion here, where he talks to us about the, the ones who are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. We're to realize that the whole word of God is God's truth. That the minute we allow any man to begin to tear apart the Scriptures, we allow then men to decide what we shall believe. And I absolutely refuse such teachings. And this is the teaching in most churches today. The teaching, remember of the modernist is way off. The teaching of the neo-orthodox we have to be careful of. We have to be very careful that we do not accept the theology which says accept those portions of Scripture which inspire your heart. It will be sufficient. And those that do not inspire you you can put on the side. The whole counsel of God must be received. Remember, in Revelation, the last chapter, it warns us that we are not to take or add a tittle to God's Word. We're not to take away from it. He says, let him be accursed who would do such things. And so we're to remember this is the truth of God. Now, I spoke to you last week of those who were the guests at the supper. We're, we are the bride. Well, I'm, you know, nothing could make me happier than that, to know that I'm part of the bride of Christ, that we've had this peculiar privilege, a glorious privilege given us to God, by God, to have come to Christ as personal Savior and to have his indwelling presence in us like no husband could have in relationship to his wife. My Wife Alice certainly does not have my spirit. And isn't it good? When you have the other person's spirit, you know everything about them. Everything they think, everything they do, every imagination that goes through their heart. When you have that other person's spirit, 
You know about him. That's why it says, I will give you the Spirit and he will guide you into all truth and he will not speak of himself. He will speak of me. And so there's nothing that the Spirit can tell us about Jesus that isn't beautiful. Otherwise, God would never give his Spirit to us. But he gives us his Holy Spirit and this glorious relationship then between Christ and his bride, the bridegroom and the bride, is one. Now, he may speak to the Corinthians about, I understand there are divisions among you and there's carnality and that your mind is thinking different things. I want you to be of the same mind. You see? He has to direct the church because we're still human beings. We're still in the flesh. He has to say, now you're still in the flesh and I have to warn you, I understand there are contentions in your church. Now I want you to be of one mind and one spirit. Understand that the same spirit that is in each one, the pastor and the boards and the people, is one. Be of one spirit, he says, and of, of one mind. And so the relationship of Jesus to his bride, the church, is that glorious relationship of a one-mindedness. May I say it this way? Let him do you're thinking for you. Well, that just fits in what the Scripture says. We have the mind of Christ. Let him do your thinking for you. Whether it's some little thing or some big thing, how do you approach it? Do you approach it outside of Jesus Christ? Do you say, as I said several weeks ago, my life is compartmentalized. There is the compartment in which I allow Christ. But there are other compartments in which I do not allow Christ. Well, this is not possible, you see, to the Christian. The Christian's life is not compartmentalized. They said we don't on Sunday pick up the bag of religion and carry it, and then on Monday morning put the bag of religion down and pick up the bag of the world and business and then walk with another bag. It's the same. We take the bag, if I might use those terms, or the valise, we take it on Sunday and we carry it all week long. Our Christian expression of life goes into our business. Now, you know, when I say those things, let me say this, I understand that it's not easy. But I never did hear in the Scriptures that the Christian life is easy. I never have found that. It hasn't said so. It says it is tough. It's rough. In this world, you'll have tribulation. You're going to have trials and burdens. But the thing is, we are the bride of Jesus Christ. We belong to him. The church is his bride. And then, as I said, John says in John 3, 29, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy is therefore fulfilled. And he's one of the Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist, the last one. He died before Jesus was crucified. He looked with great joy to the coming of the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. And here's John the Baptist, and he says, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. And I rejoice. And so here is the bridegroom and his bride the church and then all the guests, those great Old Testament patriarchs, 
Oh, shall I? I'm not going to list them right now because I have a lot to say about them. Oh, they, they'll talk to our hearts. Oh, they're tremendous, these men of God. Not that there's any perfection in them either. But here's all the guests. It's a wonderful thing, you know. I, you can't help but think, and I, I thought this is so precious to our hearts. Well, they're the guests. It's wonderful to know that there's, there's no jealousy. Uh, the friends of the bridegroom have no jealousy over the bride. Now, you know, you might look at the Jews to say today and you might say, yeah, but it's not so today. But you see, this is those who were redeemed, who looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, who practiced the shedding of blood as the remission of sins. I have given the blood as an atonement for your souls. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. These are the Old Testament saints gathered all around. The ones we know, as I said, popular men, Abraham, David, and all of these. I'll talk about them later. But the big thing is they're the guests, you see, at the table. But no jealousy exists here. There's nothing in their hearts. May I remind you that that jealousy could not be in their bosom. Because their relationship in the Old Testament was to Jehovah God. And it tells us in the Old Testament very clearly, Isaiah 54, 5 says, For thy maker to Israel is thy husband. And in Jeremiah, I shall be a husband unto them, saith the Lord. And so here is Israel with Jehovah God the Father. And they've been set aside. Romans tells us, Israel has been set aside till the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. They've been set aside. Now here they're back as the guests at the supper. But it's a, a wonderful guest. It's nearest of kin. It's occupying the first two rows. When we have a wedding, we put the first two rows aside. For the family. They're guests. But they're the family. And here is Israel. The guests. They're going to be there. But they're part of the family. It's almost like looking at Jehovah God as our Father and Israel as his bride looking down upon the son whom they pierce and seeing the son take his bride and the mother and father have such rejoicing. Won't that be wonderful to know that? Israel, rejoicing. The guests. Glorious. Glorious. Oh, as I have thrilled. You know, I, I love to, to write my messages and then I check the great Puritan teachers of years back, some of them. And then it thrills my heart doubly so when I find men like John Owens and John Brown and all the great expositors of the Word talking of the guests, Israel, sitting there around how one, isn't it great? Won't you be thrilled? They'll be part of the family. They'll be the next of kin. 
Why? Because they trusted in the Word of God. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And Romans 4 tells you, and if we believe like Abraham believed and David believed, we'll be saved. I wish we could shout this thing out to the Jews, don't you? How blessed and how wonderful. But I know you're going to have a question for me. I had a question for myself, you see. After I saw this, I said, isn't this glorious? And then I thought to myself, I said, now I know if I was sitting in the pews, I would have a question. Yes, Pastor, what's the question? Who's going to wait on the table? Well, we don't have any problem there, do we? Hebrews, first chapter. Know ye not that ye shall judge the angels? For the angels will be the ministering spirits unto the saints. Where do you think God's angels are going to be? You don't think they're going to miss up on this, do you? After they've been rejoicing at one sinner that's saved? Know ye not that you shall judge the angels? That's what God says about you. He says, don't you see that God made man higher than the angels? All he gave an angel was eternal life. That's all they go on forever. But to which of the angels did he say, Thou art my son? And that concerns Christ and it concerns you indirectly. For a son of God, is higher than an angel. And so here's this glory. Can you get the picture? I, I can't wait. I really can't wait to see this vast crowd. So large. And as I said last week, most of them unknowns like us. I'm sure when Pastor Gian gets there, Abraham and Paul and all the others aren't going to know me. But I wouldn't care. We'll lay all our crowns at his feet. We don't care. What do we care? We know that when we see him, we shall be like him. Well, we shall see him as he is. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. And I know one thing. When I'm at that wedding supper, all I want to gaze upon is the lovely face of my Savior who died for my sins. Oh, I may want to meet the others later. I want to talk to Paul and have my time. But the first one is to see Jesus who died for my sins. And so this glorious supper. You see, you, if you get the picture, you have something, you know, I, solid. You know what I mean? I don't like things that... I love the joy of my heart that there is a certain mysticism to my faith that no one can see. But we are not mystics. 
The mysteries have been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. But the world outside, if I were to talk the way I'm talking now, they would say, in the head. But did you notice what it says? These words, what? Are the truth of God. And so, what can I say to you? Are you, you? Will you have this picture in your mind sometimes, please? Now don't, don't go along in this theoretical vein, you know, and sort of a fairy taleish thing like Paul says uh, that in Peter they talk about those who speak about old wives' fables. He says, this is the divine truth of God. Holy men of old were put down the word. The New Testament prophets put down the word. And this is the Word of God. What a joy we have, huh? You get the picture? I can see it now. You know, I see the first two pews here with Israel, and I look out there, and I, back in the back, I see the, the angels waiting to serve us at the tables in this great marriage supper of the Lamb. Let me tell you, if they're ministering to me now, they aren't going to stop ministering to me when I get in eternity. They'll still be ministering. Still be ministering to me. What a joy we have. Oh, beloved. How I pray that your hearts are rejoicing in this tremendous, tremendous joy we're going to have of being with Christ. Let me tell you, things will never grow strangely dim. May I say this? Things will never grow strangely dim until you believe it with all your heart and it's part and parcel of you. Then you'll see the visions. And as Joel says, in the last days, they'll see visions and dream dreams. They're young men. And I would hope that you'd have the vision. For without a vision, the people perish. And so may God give us that glorious vision and seal it to our hearts. Oh, there's a lot more. But 40 minutes, you know, goes fast. Hardly seems possible, doesn't it? You know, you get going, and then you hit 35 and 40 minutes, and you say, gee, there's so much more I want to say. Maybe I'll never have time to say it. Maybe this week, this day, we might be called home through the translation of the church to Christ, the rapture of the church, and that judgment seat begin. Oh, are you ready? You got the picture? The church's bride. His bride has made herself ready. Blessed are they who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The guests are waiting. And the angels are the ministering spirits to the saints, both Old and New Testament. They were in the Old, they are in the New. And they'll be there. One question. Will you be there? That's all. Do you know Christ? as your personal Savior, the Redeemer of your soul. Let us pray. Now, Father, we do thank Thee for Thy precious word this morning. Lord, how, how wondrous it is. It's always so fresh. We remember that the Scripture tells us this, that the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. 
But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Time doesn't change him. There's no such thing as saying this is a different day. The Christ that redeemed from the beginning is the Christ who redeems today. So, Father, we pray that no one will leave this place without Christ in their hearts as personal Savior. We ask thee, Lord, that if in anyone's heart they have said, oh, I want this Christ in my heart this morning, that as they leave, as so many others in this fellowship have done, they will just say to the pastor at the door, me today, pastor. Father, touch every heart. Draw us close to thyself this day, all the days of the coming week, and until Christ comes. In his blessed name, amen.